Well, for better or worse, we are all the product of a family. So whether your family was or is traditional or single parent or adoptive or blended, uh, we all come from a family of one kind or another. And our families are all part of what we call a family tree. That is all the generations of families that have gone before. So I wonder how many of you have ever looked up on one of those websites like ancestry.com to look back into your family tree. Anybody ever done that? Oh yeah, a few of you. And so I wonder how far back uh, have you gone to trace the origins of your family? I mean, most of us know a good bit about our grandparents, but how many have gone back two generations to your great-grandparents? You know a lot about them. How about your great-great-grandparents? All right. How many of you know that you have an ancestor who fought in the Civil War? All right. How about the Revolutionary War? Look at that. I know none of you did, but I mean, your, your ancestors did. How many of you have an ancestor that came over on the Mayflower? Anybody? Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, good for you. Well, I've mentioned here before that um, one of my family's claim to fame on my mother's side is that we are related to the last man hanged in Wise County, Virginia. My mother's great-grandfather was a man named Joseph Branham, born in 1845. Here he is with his wife. They're very cheery-looking folks. Both he and his father fought in the Civil War, and his younger brother, by 50, he was a, a second of 11 children, by the way, uh, and his younger brother, by 15 years, was a man named Clifton Branham, my second great-granduncle, who was hanged in 1903 for killing his wife. He had also spent 14 years in prison prior to that for participating in a murder-for-hire plot, and during that time in jail, he became a preacher. Now, I'm not making this up from an actual newspaper article in 1903, okay? You can't read this, but I'll read one little excerpt for you. Branham is only about 40 years old, but in that time he has been a farmer, a trapper, a woodsman, a moonshiner, a preacher, and twice a murderer. Notice the headline, career of remarkable man to end on gallows soon. Remarkable man, I guess that's one way to say it. Now today we're going to look back through God's Word to our spiritual ancestors and we're going to see some kind of um, gnarly branches in our family tree. We're in a series right now, as you know, from Hebrews chapter 11 called By Faith. And chapter 11 of Hebrews is answering three main questions, I think. First, what is faith? In chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, our faith is assurance, and we started with this uh, weeks ago, it's assurance because it has substance. Our faith has a foundation in history, real things that God has already done in real time with real people, and that truth gives us conviction about the things that God has promised He will do, but has not yet done. Why is faith necessary? Verse 2 says, for by it the people of old received their commendation. That is, they were declared righteous by their faith, just as we are declared righteous, justified by our faith. Verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then over the last few weeks we've looked at what faith looks like, and that's the point of the writer of Hebrews, to show us through examples 
from our spiritual history what faith actually looks like. We looked at Abel. We looked at Noah. Spent two weeks looking at Abraham. And today we look at what might be called the generational impact of faith. We're going to look at three things this morning. First, the blessing of God. Then the blessing of a father. And then the blessing of a grandfather. And we're going to cover a lot of ground. So hang on. Here we go. First, the blessing of God. Now the word blessed is used a lot these days, especially on social media. I don't know how many of you pay attention to things like Facebook or Twitter. If you don't, you can ask your kids or grandkids what that's about. And you may not know what the whole hashtag thing is about. If you don't know that, also ask your kids or your grandkids. But you see a lot of people on social media use the little hashtag blessed. In fact, feeling blessed has become a a way of doing something that's called uh, the humble brag. You know what a humble brag is? It's a way to brag about your awesome life while seeming humble doing so. Okay? Get a brand new, get a new full college scholarship, hashtag blessed. Right? Get an un- un- unexpected promotion at work, hashtag blessed. Add a beautiful granddaughter to your family, hashtag blessed. I think you're going to see a lot of those in the weeks that lie ahead. And of course, those are blessings, but is this the sum total of what God means by blessing? Just the good life, all the good things that happen to us. Verse 20 says, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, we only have a few key stories from Isaac's life. Last week, we looked at the terrible and beautiful story of Isaac being offered as a sacrifice by his father Abraham. Now, usually, and this was the case last week, uh, we think of what that must have been like for Abraham as a father. To be commanded by God to sacrifice what then was his only son would have been unimaginable to us. Just unimaginable. But Abraham trusted God to provide. And we saw that God did provide. But here's the question. What would that have been like for Isaac? What would that experience have been like for Isaac? If we assume Isaac was not a child, but rather a young man, late teens, early 20s, and we can assume that because Scripture tells tells us it was a three- or four-day walk up into the mountains uh, to the place of the sacrifice, and because we're told that Isaac was carrying the wood necessary for the sacrifice. So this wasn't a child. This is uh, a late teen, early 20s, a young man. We therefore can assume that Isaac willingly allowed himself to be bound and placed on the altar as a sacrifice. Think about it. Abraham was over 100 years old at that time. Isaac is a young man could have easily run away from his father, could have easily fought him off, but he didn't. And so I think we can assume that as Abraham trusted God, Isaac trusted his father. I think we can assume that Isaac learned God's covenant promise from his father Abraham, and in this way, he was blessed by God. Next, uh, after a long and kind of weird story in Genesis chapter 24, uh, a wife is found for Isaac. And when Isaac is some 40 years old, he marries a woman named Rebekah. So he's blessed with a wife. Then Abraham dies and leaves all his 
possessions, everything he owns, to Isaac, his son. So he's blessed with material resources, possessions, and some degree of wealth. And then we learn Rebecca is barren. She cannot have children or has not had children. And we would immediately think, well, that's not, that's not blessing uh, because barrenness was considered a curse in the ancient world. And then in Genesis 25, we read, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So Isaac was blessed by God. He learned faith from his father Abraham. He received an inheritance from his father. And then God answered his prayers for his wife to bear children. We read then in Genesis 26, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to, uh, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. I put that in red for you to see it. I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Does that sound familiar? should sound familiar. God's blessing wasn't just the good things that happened in Isaac's life. Rather, God's blessing was a promise, was the covenant that he had given to Abraham to multiply his line, to multiply his children, and give them a land, and that through them all the world would be blessed. And this we see now as the promise of the gospel. So Isaac, like his father Abraham, was blessed by God. And we, you, if you've put your faith in the promise of God through Christ, you are also blessed by God. For this is what blessing means to God. So that's the first thing. The second thing we see here is the blessing of a father. The blessing of a father. Uh, several times over the years, uh, and some of you guys may remember this, but several times over the years, I have asked groups of men uh, to complete a, a small exercise, a thought exercise. I've asked them to describe their own fathers using just three words. So choose three words to describe your father. And when I've done that, I, many men say things like uh, faithful, hardworking, loving, wise, fun. And most of you know I would use those kinds of words to describe my own father. He left a rich legacy of faith and faithfulness. My brother and I celebrated him along with our families just a month ago or so at his memorial service. But my dad also left me other things as well. He left me good hand-eye coordination, a love for sports, competitive nature, and a propensity for kidney stones. But we won't talk about that now. <laughs> but other men over the years have responded with very different words. Words like absent, angry, drunk, or jerk. And here's the truth. Every man's life leaves a legacy of one kind or another. Every man's life has an impact of one kind or another. And this is true for all parents, fathers and mothers. Verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked 
future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, in the ancient patriarchal culture of Israel, um, not yet a nation, but of that time, uh, the role of the father was to bless his sons, and in particular to bless the oldest son. Uh, that is, to establish him as the future head of the family and remind him of the promises of God. But before we get to Isaac's blessing, we need to go back in the story just a little bit. We're going to cover a ton of ground here, so stay with me. Back in Genesis 25, we read, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Then verse 22, The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Remember that. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man. little side note here. The ancient Hebrew word here translated uh, as quiet man is tam. Uh, in our letters would be T-A-M. And it can also be translated as blameless, complete, or upright. It's the word used to describe Job in the great book of Job. Just interesting. Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now notice a couple of things here. We have a kind of a divine ultrasound here. Rebecca is expecting twins, and they're jostling with each other in the womb. And then God says something very surprising, and we have to notice this. He says the older will serve the younger. Next notice, Esau is born first, so he's the older. Jacob is the second born, and this is very significant in the ancient world because it means the eldest son will receive what was known as the birthright. Now, two things about the birthright. It included first a double portion of the inheritance of the father, and that was because the firstborn would become the head of the clan and would be, would be responsible for everyone in the entire extended family. So he got a double portion of the inheritance. Second, it included a special ceremonial blessing, which we'll see in a moment, from the father that placed him in a covenant relationship with God. But God has already said the older will serve the younger. And then notice that at the very end of the passage, and I put this verse in red, verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, this is what we might today call a dysfunctional family. The parents are playing favorites. Not a good idea. Now, all this sets up one of the most interesting and heartbreaking stories in the entire Old Testament, at least for me. Again, in Genesis 25. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. And in the parentheses, therefore his name was called Edom, which simply means red in Hebrew. Verse 31, Jacob says, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Jacob says, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. 
Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now this is enormously significant. To say Esau despised his birthright is to say he regarded with contempt the very blessing of God on his life. He regarded with contempt the blessing of God, sold it for a bowl of stew because he was hungry. And then years later, when Isaac is old, mostly blind, and near death, the time has come for him to give the ceremonial blessing. So he calls Esau, his older son, his favorite son, remember, and he tells him to go out hunting and prepare his favorite meal so he can bless him. But in the story, we find out Rebekah is listening in, and she wants Jacob to get the blessing. Why? Because God told her that the older would serve the younger. She believes God has promised that blessing to Jacob, who is her favorite. So she tells Jacob to bring her two young goats. She'll prepare his favorite, uh, favorite meal of Isaac. She dresses Jacob up in Esau's clothes, puts goat skins on his arms so he feels hairy like his brother. And it works. If you read the story, it works. Uh, Isaac gives his blessing to Jacob. And here's the blessing. Genesis 27. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. <coughs> Excuse me. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. Remember, they were Esau's clothes. And blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So, with his mother's help, Jacob manages to intercept the blessing that Isaac means for Esau. But then, you know the story, Esau returns. Uh-oh. He brings food to his father, and Isaac's confused now. He says, who are you? Esau says, it's me. It's me, your firstborn, Esau. And we read, Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. Isaac answered Esau, I've made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine, so what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, and here's the blessing. It reads a lot more like a curse. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew in heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off from your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Okay, so at first glance, this is not a very pretty story. It seems like the very definition of a dysfunctional family. But remember two things. God had already chosen the younger son, Jacob, when he said the older shall serve the younger. Remember, Esau 
had despised his birthright, treated with contempt the blessing of God. But Esau is Isaac's favorite, and he still wants to give the blessing to him. But Rebekah and Jacob conspire to deceive Isaac and intercept that blessing. And the blessing goes to the wrong son. Or does it? Or does it? Now, no one in this story is righteous. Not Esau, not Jacob, not Isaac, not Rebekah. And there are some serious consequences that follow if you read the story. Rebekah would never see Jacob again. She never would see her favorite son again once he leaves in fear of his brother. Jacob would run and flee in fear from his brother Esau for some 20 years. But even so, with all that, God is at work. Because running beneath all of this is faith in the promise of God. God told Rebekah, the older will serve the younger. We can assume that Isaac also knew this. Rebekah tried to make the prophecy come true in her own way, in her own time. Esau sold his birthright. We can also assume Isaac knew that. Isaac wanted to give his blessing to Esau, even knowing Esau had despised his birthright, even knowing God had promised to bless the younger son. See, Isaac wanted his way here too. So where is the faith in all this? That was one of my first questions when I read the Hebrews passage. Where, where is the faith in all this? It reads like a Jerry Springer story, right? Here's where I think we see it. When Isaac realized that he had been fooled, when he realized he had given the blessing to Jacob and not Esau, notice, he didn't try to take it back. He didn't say, oh, whoa, I made a terrible mistake. I've been fooled. Come back here. My, come back, Esau. I'll give you. No. What he said was, I blessed him, and he indeed will be blessed. In that moment, I believe, at the very end of his life, Isaac finally saw, understood, and surrendered to the will of God. It's never too late to surrender to the will of God in faith. And fathers, it's never too late to bless your children. It's never too late. That leads to the third part in this story. I'm calling the blessings of a grandfather. Blessings of a grandfather. Uh, during the week of my my dad's memorial service, our family was together for a few days, and even though it was a, a very sad time for us, it was also a very, very good time. And we shared story after story about my dad, who was a papa to my boys. Somewhere along the line, I learned uh, from my boys that my dad learned how to text on his phone. And the boys shared with me that he texted them a lot more than I was aware of. Just these private little messages from grandfather to grandsons. For example, he, he loved sports, and he would text them before and after their games. Uh, once, uh, before an eighth-grade football game, he texted one of my boys, Good luck tonight. Make them remember forever the day they played the Bulldogs. It was an eighth-grade football game. <laughs> Sounds like Braveheart going to battle. <laughs> or before a college basketball game, when our son was playing against my dad's alma mater, he texted, I know you're playing my old school tonight, but show no mercy, in capital letters. <laughs> he was extremely competitive, extremely proud, and it was one of his ways of blessing his grandsons. Back to our text, verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, 
blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. The, the stories of Isaac and Jacob cover some 28 chapters in Genesis. Uh, but we only have two verses in Hebrews summarizing their lives. We have to ask, why? What is the writer of Hebrews trying to tell us? He's assuming they all knew the stories, but he's also telling us what's most important when it comes to what he's trying to teach us about faith. So this is many years later. Jacob is now dying, and he's giving a blessing to the sons of Joseph, to his grandsons. We're going to cover most of Joseph next week in the message. But let me just say here, if you're a grandparent today, never underestimate uh, the unique place you have to bless your grandchildren. I think it's a very unique place grandparents can have. Don't pass it up. Now notice two small details here. It says, Jacob is bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Some translations say, leaning on his staff. So why would, of all the things you could say about Jacob's life, why does the writer of Hebrews mention these two things? Well, actually, three things. He's dying. He's at the end of his life. He's in worship, leaning on his staff. It's curious to me. Well, he's an old man, so he's using a kind of cane to get around. We can understand that, like a walking stick. But we also know something else. We know that Jacob, for many years, has walked with a limp. You remember the story way back in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob is preparing to meet Esau after years of running in fear because Esau has vowed to kill him, right? And one of the most mysterious and powerful stories of the Old Testament, a stranger leaps on Jacob in the night and wrestles with him. It's, a, it's kind of a life-and-death cage match, hand-to-hand combat. The stranger, of course, turns out to be God. They wrestle all night and toward the morning with neither clearly winning the match. And the stranger then simply, as dawn is coming, reaches out and touches Jacob's hip and dislocates it. And even though wounded, Jacob refuses to let go. He seems to recognize his mysterious adversary, and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And then God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. One writer calls this the magnificent surrender. And from that moment on, Jacob walked with a limp, but he served his God. I wonder if you've ever wrestled with God in your journey of faith. God is fiercely personal. God pursues us by his Spirit with great passion. And he wants to wrestle with us. He invites us to wrestle with him. And know this, if you wrestle with God, when you wrestle with God, he's going to win. You can avoid him. You can keep running. But once you come face to face, once you encounter him, once you wrestle with him, he will win and you will be blessed. The best thing that ever happened to Jacob was being defeated by God. 
Now, this is a much different version of Jacob than the young man who manipulated his brother into giving him his birthright. This is a much different version of the man who got what he wanted by using his own smarts and his own uh, effort. This is a man who now has wrestled with God. This is a man who has been defeated by God. This is a man who now knows God, leans on God, and worships God. This now is a man who is able to bless his grandsons. In Genesis 48, Joseph brings his sons Manasseh and Ephraim to Jacob. And it's interesting, if you read the story, it's a curious little story. Uh, he puts Manasseh, the older son, uh, in front of his father's dying father's right hand. And he puts Ephraim, the younger son, in front of his dying father's left hand because he wants him to bless them that way. The right hand, the older one, because it's a greater blessing. The left hand on the younger one, because it's a lesser blessing. And this is what Jacob does in the story. He switches his hands. And he puts his right hand on the younger son and his left hand on the older. And Joseph is irritated. He tries to get him to switch him back. And Jacob says, no, this is the way it's going to be. Because he knows that God has chosen the younger son to be the stronger of the two. So what do we do with all this? How do we make sense of this whole long rambling saga we have? Let me just mention three takeaways, I think. First, our faith is anchored not in the circumstances and events of our lives. Our faith is anchored not in our own strength or goodness or ability to, to bless ourselves. It's anchored in the covenant promise of God, given to Abraham, passed on to Isaac, passed on to Jacob, passed on to Joseph, and then to Joseph's sons, and on and on and on. Ultimately fulfilled in the coming of Christ, yet to be fulfilled when he comes again. So we are recipients of the same blessing. Secondly, the journey of faith, and we've seen this before, the journey of faith is often hard, long, and messy. Like Isaac... We often want to do things our way. Like Esau, sometimes we ignore or turn our back on the blessing God is trying to give us. Like Jacob, we try to bless ourselves <coughs> and discover God's true blessing only when he wrestles with us. Thirdly, God works his promise through imperfect people and imperfect families. I wonder if there are any twisted or broken branches in your family tree. You may look backwards. You may even look at your descendants, at your children or grandchildren, see branches that aren't quite straight, that maybe are a little bit broken. And you wonder, what is God doing? Can God do anything with this? God still, can still work, he tells us. He can still work to straighten and strengthen what seem to be broken and gnarled family branches. And he can bring fruit from those branches. And in the end, we see all these flawed people with all their mistakes are commended by faith. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. In the end, they trusted the promise of God. In the end, they passed their faith on to their children and their grandchildren. Psalm 145 says, one generation shall commend your works to another 
and shall declare your mighty acts. Will you bow with me as I close? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Today we thank you for these ancient examples of faith, people who lived in a much different time and a much different culture, but were so much like us in so many ways. We too sometimes struggle to trust you and your promise. We too sometimes struggle to find blessing. Sometimes we try to find blessing apart from you. Remind us by your word and your spirit that your promises are good and that you are faithful. And may we be faithful to pass your promises on as best we can to the generations that follow. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.